Hey, everybody. Thank you for listening. Today, we have a really cool paper about fast radio bursts, which are like these crazy, totally unexplained, millisecond-long blips of massive energy sources coming from hundreds of millions of light years away. We, we have no clue what is causing them, but we've just been observing them for the last decade or so. Hearing this story blew my mind. The strength of these radio bursts is like getting a, a cell phone call from the moon, although at their origin, it's the same amount of energy as the sun gives off in an 80-year period. It's insane. And to think that we don't even know the origin of them. This is a cool episode diving into this paper. I'm really happy you brought this one in, Charlie. Yeah, so we hope that uh, you all learn as much as we did and hear about uh, more Harvard alien shenanigans for another potential hypothesis of these uh, fast radio bursts. Yeah, please enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome to Paper Boys, the podcast where we unravel the research papers behind the latest major headlines in science. I am your host, as always, Charlie, and I'm here with James. Charlie, happy to be here, as I am every single week. I know. I'm starting to really miss you, James. It's hard being all the way down here in California. Yeah, six weeks, man. Yeah. Another four weeks and then, well, I guess it won't make a difference to the listeners. They don't really know the difference, but... We'll be in the same room. It'll have a different energy. Though it's, uh, it's an energy they can feel on air. Yes. Yes. They'll hear us hugging during the podcast. Yeah. All the, all the physical all contact. We, <laughs> that's all we do. If you were wondering, we just hug the whole, yeah. the whole podcast. Actually, you may not know this, but James and I record into the same mic, and we stand arm in arm with our faces about four inches away from each other. It's really creepy. If you uh, sign up for the Patreon, you can actually see the video of this. <laughs> Yeah, actually, speaking of that, please check, do check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash paperboyspod. We have bonus episodes, bonus videos. Uh, this week is, sorry, this month is all about love. It's about 36 it's questions. Month of love. That, yeah, you can ask on your first date that will make you fall in love. I know we're past Valentine's Day already, but um, maybe you're going on a second date with some Valentine that you met last week. On Tinder. <laughs> on tinder and you can ask them these 36 questions so if you go there you can see that episode patreon.com slash paperboyspod if you haven't already to check us out on social media at paperboyspod who would have guessed instagram and twitter uh we try to tweet out about interesting media coverage that we can't always cover on the podcast and we've actually gotten a lot of great recommendations so if you want to get in touch hit us up there that's true, yeah. The last couple of our episodes have been, or this month's bonus episode and last week's episode were both listener-recommended, so. Yes. Good choice, listeners. Good choice. And with that, Charlie, I'm peering into the shared notes, and looks like you got a space one for us this week. Oh, yeah. This one This one was actually really cool. It's about, um, have you ever heard of fast radio bursts? Um, I've heard about them, but tell me more. I... If I had to describe them, I would say they are radio bursts that happen in very fast intervals, and that's all I know. Um, yes. From space. <laughs> from mean, deep space. Okay, yeah. The deep space is kind of the important part, because I don't think anyone let, would be all that interested let me, in just... Let me, let me start over. Charlie, 
No, I don't. What are fast radio bursts? Oh, well, I'm glad you asked, James. Um, so fast radio bursts, it, it's this very weird, like astronomical phenomenon that has only recently been discovered. So the first ever detection of this was only in 2007. Really? And yeah, and essentially what it is, is uh, you, the, you know, we as a species have a bunch of telescopes pointing at the sky and we're looking for not just um, like optical signals. I mean, we've done plenty of episodes now where we've talked about how we have interfer- interferometric telescopes and, you know, like the image of the black hole that they captured last year mm-hmm. was not like a, it was not a visual image. It was at these frequencies that are not actually visible light. So we've got all these telescopes looking for basically just radio signals that are coming out from space. And what was discovered in 2007 was this very powerful, very distant, very short burst of radio frequency energy. Hmm. And so when I say very distant, we're talking like hundreds of millions of light years. And oh, when wow. I say very, okay. And when I say very short, we're talking uh, less than a millisecond to maybe only a few milliseconds long. So this is just like a tiny little blip that just comes out of comes out of deep space. And when I say very powerful, this thing has to be powerful enough for us to detect it at Earth from hundreds of millions of light years away. Wow. So it's are they are these radio bursts pretty powerful even here on Earth? Or are they still like pretty faint but strong enough just for us to detect? No, they're actually very faint when you detect them here at Earth. Okay. So it's challenging to detect them. You have to like it's challenging, kind of set it up is, and be looking for them. Yes, and have a very powerful telescope, and um, which is probably why you know we didn't detect this until 2007. Um, okay, but since 2007, we've detected tons more of these things, and it's it's kind of this ongoing nascent field in astronomy is finding these fast radio bursts in the first place, and then attempting to explain what they are because that that's kind of the crazy part about this is that we actually have no clue what like what the origin of these bursts even is really like for any of them do we have some sense from like a couple of them like where they're coming from and what the origin is or is it like for all of them and we're still digging into that it's like we don't know why they exist at all it's not like oh well this one came from that thing but this other one doesn't it's like the phenomenon itself is still unexplained which is just wild that's exciting that's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. It gets, you know, it gets like my blood like, pumping, you know? I mean, we haven't found life, but you're kind of like, well, we, we launched Hubble, landed on the moon. What else is there to do? Yeah. I'm, yeah I mean, I say nothing. that and I'm like, of course, there's so much more to do. But it's like, it's so exciting to like sort of have this relatively easily measured phenomenon such that it's like measured a lot since 2007, like you were saying, but like just have no explanation for its origin. Yeah, no, and I know exactly what you're saying. It's, it's it's the reason why it excites me too. Is like, there's always this sense that, um, well, we know most things by now, and you know, there's very few just like total new discoveries to make. It's all kind of like making little additional discoveries on top of things. This is like a totally, I don't know. This is like a mystery, and there's actually mm-hmm. some some kind of crazy potential explanations. I'll get to I'll get to the alien kind of stuff at okay. the end. Because our boy, our boy Avi Loeb, do you remember the um, the Oumuamua asteroid paper that we covered? I was going to say Oumuamua, yeah, the the uh, large 
like interstellar piece of rock that passed by the sun, right? Yeah. And so Harvard astronomer Avi, Avi Loeb had written a paper where he suggested that that was a structure built by an alien civilization. In reading about this paper that we're covering today, I found that in 2017, Avi Loeb was talking about fast radio bursts potentially being from aliens. So hey. he's just, he, he's all over the map with this. He's just pushing out the, the realm of possibility. He's just throwing it out there. Yeah, he is. But we'll get, I'll, I'll get to that at the end because it ties in more with the news articles. Okay, yeah. So if they had found out what it was, I imagine you would have spoiled that early on. But why are these currently making the news? So the news that was coming out about this was about, it, it was about, I guess like the significance of what has been discovered is more about like, you asked, how do they determine what the origin is? And this paper is sort of like, maybe restricting the possibilities because it's a more specific type of discovery. So some of these headlines, so CBS News says, a mysterious deep space radio burst is sending signals to Earth every 16 days. Sky News says, alien radio signals detected repeating with a regular 16-day cycle. Sputnik says, first contact? Something in space is sending Earth signals like clockwork. Scientists don't know why. Admittedly, I kind of picked the headlines that were like a little more alien-centric because I just think that's funny. But Yeah. But I mean, the real gist here is, is the idea that these, that these signals that they're detecting are repeating with, with some regularity, which is actually hmm. not common so they have okay. discovered some fast radio bursts that are repeating and that's like actually a pretty common thing for them to discover um but the re but the repetition is like totally random and you can't predict it but this one particular frb fast radio burst that has been discovered in, and presented in this paper has this uh periodic signature which is totally new sweet well I can't wait to dive into it, but before we do, do you want to tell us a little bit about the authors and where this work was published? Yeah. So the title of the paper is Periodic Activity from a Fast Radio Burst Source. And uh, it was published by, it, so it was actually published on like a preprint server, archive.org. Mm -hmm. And uh, the, the first author on the paper is actually just the Chime slash FRB collaboration. And then it has a list of a few dozen authors just in alphabetical order. Okay. That's interesting. Like the collaboration just to maybe get away from like, I don't know, giving someone like the first author credit. It seems like all those, uh, I, many of the astronomy and physics papers have like 50 authors on them. Yes. I, I think that's exactly what they're doing here. It seems like equal credit all around. Um, there is a corresponding author who is um, DZ Lee. Uh, but so okay. they, but they, these are all people associated with this uh, Chime slash FRB collaboration. And what Chime is, is the Canadian Hydrogen Intensity Mapping Experiment. Where's that out of? So it's in Canada. <laughs> uh, it's in B oh. it's in British Columbia. It's actually pretty close to the Washington State border. Oh, sweet. maybe we should go pay them a visit. Yeah, have them show us their fast radio bursts. Yeah. But so oh. it's this it's this telescope. It's it's actually pretty cool. You can look up pictures of it and uh it looks like it looks like a bunch of like half pipes pretty much. So it's not like a telescope like you would traditionally think. It's not first of all, it's not like an observatory like you would traditionally think. It doesn't have like a half dome with, you know, a slit for a telescope. It also isn't like a big circular dish. What it actually is is like it looks like these 
these four half pipes, but they're parabolically shaped. So they, so they reflect signals coming in to like one focal point. Oh, cool. I'm, I'm looking at it right now. It's like, it's kind of like the size of maybe a small football field or soccer field or something. And yeah, like you said, basically like four really wide half pipes with, uh, look like they're just probably antennas feeding some like little structures nearby. Yeah, exactly. And so what they're doing is as the earth turns, they're just mapping out large regions of the sky and like they're like detecting signals. And I think the goal of it, uh, as the name suggests, hydrogen intensity mapping is they're detecting signals in like the couple hundred megahertz range. I forget the exact numbers, but essentially what it is, is they're detecting signals that are being given off by hydrogen gas in the universe which allows them to create like a 3D map of the large scale structure of the universe. Wow. Yeah. It and and then it just so happens that it it turns out that these that the frequency range that it's detecting happens to be really good for detecting fast radio bursts, FRBs. That's crazy. 400 to 800 megahertz, that's like I mean a lot of consumer electronics, it's like pretty close to cell phone frequency. It's like relatively low frequency like the very large uh telescope array that they used um for the interferometry for imaging the black hole that was like hundreds of gigahertz or terahertz i believe really yeah let me let me just double check that but yeah i mean 400 800 megahertz it's like it's a pretty big wavelength yeah and that's also like that's also like the wavelength that um you know, like satellites are communicating, like amateur satellites are communicating down at. I just wonder what kind of interference they're getting. From. Yeah. Or like key fobs <laughs> transmit at like 433, you know, wonder if they have to keep this thing yeah. like in the parking lot. <laughs> so there's a, uh, I found out in West Virginia, there's like a radio dark area for that reason. Like really? Because a lot of our signals operate in like very important frequencies for physical phenomena, like I think the resonant frequency of hydrogen is like the same as Wi-Fi. So it's like this just completely radio quiet area for measuring that. So I wonder if this area in Canada is similar. That's really cool. I did not know that. Yeah. Well, cool. Okay. So a neat antenna in Canada, part of the Chime project, right? Yes, Chime. So what they are actually publishing on is this specific detection. So I guess last year, uh, the Chime FRB collaboration had discovered eight new repeating FRBs. And so, and there was some paper they published about that. And I think that was a big deal. One of these FRBs was called FRB 180916.J0158 plus 65. Nice. Yeah. They've really got to come up with like catchier names for these things. Yeah. I'm sure... I'm sure like if you're in this field, every one of those numbers tells you something about it, but for the average scientist, it's just inaccessible. Yeah. We should, we'll just, we have to come up with our own name for this one. Like the Ninja FRB. Yeah. Hmm. Something that happens every 16 days. I yeah. What happens every 16 days? Uh, oh, paycheck. FRB. The paycheck, the paycheck FRB. The paycheck FRB. I like yes. that. Okay. Perfect. Okay. So the paycheck FRB was one of these ones that they discovered that is repeating. And uh, there was also another recent paper where they actually 
located where that FRB, where the paycheck FRB was coming from. <laughs> and uh, it comes from, dude, that's a great name. Thank you for doing that. Um, yeah. And they located it so they, in like this particular like supernova star forming region of this massive spiral galaxy that I think is like a couple hundred million light years away. Wow. That's amazing. So they actually, they were actually able to find the origin of it, at least like on a rough astronomical scale. But is this the first time that they've been able to do that for one of these FRBs? Um, I don't think so. I, I mean, I say that not out of a knowledge of the literature, but out of the fact that they don't make a big deal out of that in this paper. They just say, oh, it was recently localized to this region. Okay, okay. So, so yeah. but the point they, just being that they know where it is. And I thought that it was cool that they could even localize it specifically enough to say it's within this particular region of this galaxy that's this far away. Mm-hmm. Um, cause that, cause that also could help them maybe identify, you know, if they say that it's in a star forming region, then that could help them narrow down what the cause of this FRB might be. Oh, wow. So, but anyway, that's not really that important to the paper. What is important okay. is that they observed this specific location from September, 2018 to November, 2019. And in that time they detected 28 bursts from the paycheck frb just about as many paychecks as you you would get in a one-year period exactly every time they got a burst these scientists got paid so that's why they observed it for that long it's amazing yeah (laughs) they didn't get paid until they observed it exactly they were just shackled to the computer until they came out with a measurement (laughs) cool i mean but with what regularity was it so they say every 16 days but like 16 days plus minus some deviation yeah so it, it wasn't like it wasn't you know one of the headlines used the phrase like clockwork it, it wasn't actually like clockwork um, you can actually see if you want to take a look i put figure 2a from the paper here in this google doc yeah and what what this is showing um so it's just time on the horizontal axis it's showing the date like it starts at november 2018 or sorry september 2018 and ends at november 2019 and do you see how there's these there's these gray stripes across the plot. Yeah. Those gray stripes are representing the the period that they calculated for this thing. And so those gray stripes occur every 16 days. And the stripe itself is four days wide. Oh, uh, okay. And, and you can see these red arrows. The red arrows represent each time they detected an FRB or a signal from this FRB. Okay. And you see how these red arrows fall into those gray stripes. Yeah, almost perfectly. It looks like they didn't actually measure every one of the gray stripes though, right? No. So that yeah, that's a good that's a good observation is that they didn't get a measurement every 16 days. It's just what they what they did is they took all these 28 measurements that they took over these 14 months and they did this technique uh they called it like folding or something i don't know there, there's a lot of statistics involved but i think i kind of got the gist of it is that you know imagine you mark these out on a sheet of paper like it i mean like this graph shows you mark these out time wise on a sheet of paper if you like fold the paper up like an accordion there's going to be some you know width of the accordion folds that's going to make them all line up nicely and you can mm-hmm. actually quantify that like with some statistical number okay and so what they found is that when they did this technique and uh, they tried it 
with any, everything from 1.57 to 62.8 days. And what they found is that at 16.35 days, they got like a huge spike in this number. Like, yes, 16.35 days is statistically significant. Wow. So I'm looking at this graph and I see that, you know, there's the the time scale on the bottom and they've mapped out the estimated period, like the 16.35 days that they would expect to see the radio waves. Looks like they didn't actually measure it every single time, though, even though from if I understood this correctly, they were looking for almost the entire year, right? More or less. Yes. So what these little black dots that you see, like pretty much spanning the entire graph, mm-hmm. uh, those represent times that they were observing. Okay. So there's so there's so there's lots of black dots spanning this whole time span, but only only a handful of actual observations. And you're right that they don't come every 16 days. Like you can see, uh, there's one that comes in the second in the second window. And then another two come during the fourth window and then another two come in the fifth window and then the sixth window, you know, but then there's also a big gap between like, you know, February 2019 until like May 2019 where they didn't observe any. Yeah, but it so it looks like, I mean, they don't just have it on all the time, all day, and they're like waiting around for it. It looks like maybe they only have a limited amount of time that they can actually look and record data. So maybe they just miss it or something else is happening and they just can't detect it at that time, right? Yeah, that is possible. So, so it, you know, the way this graph is laid out, it looks as though they were just continuously watching it, but that's not really true. These, each one of these dots represents like a, I think like a 12 minute observation window or something. And then of course, also for half the day, the earth is pointed the wrong direction. So they can't be watching. True. Um, so you know, I mean, statistically, because they observed for this long and they observed as many times as they could over this long, the idea that it has this 16.35 day period is, I mean, like that is a sure thing. I mean, you're right that they didn't, that you can't be sure that they didn't miss some observations here. Oh, yeah. I guess I'm just, you know, when you talk about, you know, oh, you just, you point uh, an antenna to this galaxy and you measure it. Like, I'm sure that, I'm trying to get to what probably some of the technical challenges are for doing this. Like for one of the recent episodes we did, remember one of the scientists even like tweeted to us and was like, yeah, you know, it's like, it's really hard to get time on this telescope. Like we're not the only ones who want to use it. So mm, we had just yeah. limited time that we could do this. And I didn't know what, if they brought up any other constraints that they had. They, uh, so if I'm being totally honest, this is a, it's like an almost 30 page paper and a lot of it is methods, but the first like six pages up front is the kind of just like the, here's what we observed. Here's, you know, basically how we did it and how we analyzed this data and what this means. I being completely honest, I didn't read through the remaining 20 pages of methods. <laughs> no, um, I, I don't so there might be, there might be something in there that talks about those specific types of challenges, but my understanding of this telescope is that, um, it, like its sole purpose is just continuously mapping the sky like as much as it can because its end goal is to produce like this huge large-scale map of the universe from a specific period in its in its history 
So I don't know if it's oh, like, okay. I, I, I don't know if the way that this worked is that they needed to reserve time to specifically look for FRBs or if the searching for FRBs is just a matter of data analysis on what's already being recorded. Gotcha. Okay. Cool. I have a hunch that it is the latter though. Yeah. Yeah. I'm definitely going to go in and read a little bit more about this. It's pretty cool. I didn't even know it was, it existed so close. I know. I know. It's really close to where we live. So it's kind of a cool thing. It's kind of like how the uh, LIGO, like the, the experiment that's detecting gravitational waves, is in Washington State. Like we could drive to it. Yeah. We'll have to check it out sometime. So one question I have looking at this graph, especially, were there any other observatories or observing groups that measure these as well? So they did talk about that in the paper. Um, they used the European Very Long Baseline Interferometry Network, EVN. And so I think that by this time, they realized, they, they knew that they were observing a periodic FRB. Mm-hmm. And so it sounds like what they did is they reached out to these other telescopes and they, or, and they got time on these other telescopes to see if they could observe it using a different instrument. Um, and so the EVN measures at a central frequency of 1.7 gigahertz as opposed to the... Uh, like this 400 to 800 megahertz. Okay. And they actually did get a measurement of this FRB in the window that they expected it to be in. Hmm. Uh, So that was cool. That's like to them, you know, for them, that's like some confirmation, I guess. You're measuring it at a different frequency with a different instrument. Um, But then they also used this other telescope called the Effelsberg Telescope, which is uh, 1.4 gigahertz. And they did not detect any bursts using that telescope. Interesting. Okay. And what I thought was interesting is that they say it's possible that they didn't measure it because it, they say that what it suggests is there may actually be some frequency dependence of the burst activity. So like this thing could be repeating at these certain frequencies, but not at other frequencies. Or maybe it's not even emitting at those frequencies. Oh, interesting. Like okay. it may not have it may not have been that it didn't emit at all when the Effelsberg telescope was looking. It could be that it did emit and it was not at the right frequency. Gotcha. Okay. Wow. I mean there's there are a lot of challenges with measuring this. Like figuring yeah. out what frequency and the timing, how long it's every sixteen days, but for how long? Yeah, and so the other thing is that it's it's every sixteen days, but it's not like spot on right at the same time there's like a four day it's like plus or minus two days like that it has a period of activity so it'll be like at some point a window opens and over the next four days it will have a bunch of activity you know like some of these windows they measured like five bursts and then it'll go quiet for for 12 days and then you know it starts up again and so it's these it's these cycles so that also makes it hard if you're trying to detect it it's not like you can say, okay, look there at exactly 9.32 p.m. on this date, and that's when you're going to see it. It's like, no, I mean, you might see one over the next four days if you look. Yeah. Jeez. That's pretty cool, though. I mean, that seems to suggest there's sort of like not synchronization between Earth and us measuring it and this phenomenon, but like it's happening pretty regularly. There's some like sort of common overlap when these things are aligned, which, you know, starts to ask the obvious question of like, do they have any idea of what might be happening that gives it this 16 day period? Um, I mean, 
the short answer is no they have no clue Uh, the longer answer is that the significance of this paper is that it lets them start to narrow down some possible sources okay so if you have this type of periodicity you can start to say like okay well what what type of things occur in nature that are periodic like this so they they mention a couple of potential ideas and they don't say they don't really give too much credence to any of them they just say here's some possibilities so breaking it down kind of into two broad categories one is it could be coming from orbital motion so you imagine i mean two things that are orbiting each other or something that's orbiting another thing is going to exhibit periodic motion right Mm -hmm. so they say uh this is where it kind of got crazy like reading about some of these this is like you know, we do these like black hole papers or other astrophysics things, and, we, and I always get a little bit too excited. But <laughs> they talk about like, well, first of all, because you have a measurement of this 16.35 days, you've got a constraint on the orbital period, which means, okay, well, if we know these things have to be this energetic, then they're probably a certain size. So uh, that puts a constraint on the mass of whatever it is that they're orbiting. And okay. so, so that, that starts to tell them already, like, okay, what could this, like, you know, if we have a system of whatever the source of the FRB is, is one object, and then something else is another object, and they're orbiting each other. And they talk about, like, this uh, thing called a Black Widow binary system, which has, Whoa. yeah, dude, the names are so cool. It's, it's so awesome. So the Black Widow binary system consists of a low-mass star and a powerful millisecond pulsar whose wind ablates the companion. So like imagine Whoa. you have like like imagine in our solar system if there was like a pulsar just like that was like another planet just like whipping around. I mean we would be dead. We wouldn't be here to see it if that was the case, but for people who aren't familiar with pulsars, we mind just quickly explaining what that is. I feel like that's uh, one of those astronomical terms that like is thrown around so much in technical jargon, but you know yes if you give me just one second to look on wikipedia i can tell you (laughs) Uh, so it's a highly magnetized rotating neutron star that emits beams of electromagnetic radiation radiation out of its magnetic poles so like the significant like the reason why we care about pulsars is that um because they're emitting this this very strong radiation and they also they they spin at like a very regular interval or that radiation passes us at very regular intervals it's like super predictable we actually use them as like interstellar timers. It's like a lighthouse. It's like a it's lighthouse, like a, right? Like It's exactly it's like, like a lighthouse. It's like a beam of light that's spinning around and so it flashes at us every whatever interval that the yeah. pulsar is spinning at. Yeah. And I think that like they actually use these for like deep space navigation. Really? I think we've talked I think that we talked about that for the Insight Landing episode. Oh, wow. Throwback. Yeah. Check that one out. That was a good episode. So that's that's a black widow system. Is a pulsar orbiting another star? Okay. And so the the actual energy from the radiation of the pulsar is ablating the other body. Like it's yeah. burning up parts of it. Basically. Yeah, like it's like blowing the star away pretty much. Jeez. They also say like, you know, what if this is a pulsar orbiting like a black hole? And then you could maybe get a fast radio burst if like these giant radio pulses coming from the neutron star are like lensed, like gravitationally lensed by the black hole each time that it orbits around it. So like there's actually, you know, 
because there's a black hole there, it's like modulating the signal that that we see because the gravity is so strong. Hmm, that's cool. Yeah, it's just like all these cool kind of really out, I mean, not even really that out there ideas. Like this is probably happening somewhere in the universe. Yeah, yeah. Dude, it's a big universe. A lot of things that could be happening. Yeah, So so those are possible sources resulting from orbital motion. And then I mentioned there was a whole nother kind of broad category, which is it could just be a single object that has some periodic behavior. Okay. What could you describe that some more? Yeah. So there's one, uh, one of the leading theories for what the source of FRBs is, is this thing called a magnetar, which is like one of the most sinister sounding astronomical objects. Yeah. She's a magnetar. A magnetar. Uh, and a magnetar, I think, is just like a neutron star with like an extremely strong magnetic field. It was like hmm. like 10 to the 15 Tesla or something like that. So like for context, that episode that we did where that lab group created a magnetic field so strong that it blew up their lab, that was like yeah, tw- that was like 10 Tesla. Okay. Or no, sorry, that was like a thousand Tesla. This is this would be 10 to the 15 Tesla. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. I mean, 12 orders of magnitude bigger. Yeah. So you can get a sense of how this might produce so much energy that we would, you know, it would be blasting pulses at us from this far away. Dang, that's crazy. So do you have any, do you have any sense for like what the equivalent power of the signal is? Um, like yes. It must be much more powerful than like our cell phone or something like that, right? Uh. No, actually. So I meant to say this at the beginning when you asked. So uh, from the Wikipedia, it says, while extremely energetic at their source, the strength of the signal reaching the Earth has been described as a thousand times less than from a mobile phone on the moon. Oh, wow. That's the received strength, right? So this is the strength that we see at Earth. It's like you trying to receive a cell phone call from the moon. Jeez. But at the source, the amount of energy that they have to be producing at the source it says it generates as much energy in a millisecond burst as the sun does in 80 years. Whoa. Isn't that's that insane? insane? That's a lot. In one millisecond, all the energy of the sun in 80 years. Jeez. Uh, it's like pretty disturbing. Yeah. Dude, there's so much energy in the universe. Those are like one of those facts that's like hard to, it's just hard to understand. It's impossible to conceptualize. And it makes you feel really, I don't know, reading that made me feel pretty insignificant. <laughs> yeah. Like energy yeah. just doesn't care about us. Like you we're just, en- like yeah. we're, we're nothing on the energy scale, you know? Yeah. It's like, uh, you think about the energy it takes to get out of bed in the morning. <laughs> you're like, not even on the same spectrum. <laughs> yeah. And that takes me a lot longer than a millisecond. I'll tell you that. Whew. It feels like closer to 80 years. 80 years of sun energy. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, that's like the, that's the scale and craziness that we're dealing with here in terms of theories for fast radio bursts. So, I mean, from the observation alone, we know that it ha- like the fact that it has that much energy is a fact. What's, what is not a fact is what in the, what in the universe could possibly create that much energy? Yeah. I, I have no idea. That's what's <laughs> crazy. Yeah. Jeez. And they still don't know. No, they still don't know. Uh, so I'm sure that someone, you know, I'm sure that in a few years or maybe a few decades, we'll be doing a Paper Boys episode about the discovery of the source of 
fast radio bursts. I cannot wait. I cannot wait. <laughs> Already looking forward to the episode. Just need some uh, go-getter PhD student to come around and solve the mystery. Yeah. So do you want to hear what Avi Loeb's hypothesis is for the source yes. of fast radio bursts? Yeah, absolutely. So the Sky News article that I mentioned at the beginning was uh, the one that actually turned me on to this. I guess in 2017, Avi Loeb, who is, I think, the chair of the Harvard like astrophysics department, um, mm-hmm. he says that, or rather, he proposes that it is possible that FRBs are leakage from planet-sized alien transmitters whose purpose would be to beam energy out to light sails, much like how he thought Oumuamua was a light sail. Dude. So you'd have so you'd awesome. have these alien civilizations who constructed these light sails for interstellar travel, and then they constructed so in so then he they go through in this paper, he and his co-author, they go through and they calculate, well, if this was artificial, what would it take to create this signal? And they calculate that to uh, generate that burst of energy would require something that's like twice the size of the earth. And it would be, it would be so much energy that like if just firing it would, would vaporize the very object itself. Really? Yeah. Dude. So wait, is um, he an author on this paper? On the paper that we covered for the episode? Yeah. No, no. So this was a paper from 2017 uh, that he and another Harvard astronomer wrote. Oh, okay. Sorry. Uh, uh, For these fast radio bursts. Yes. So they're, so they said, and and again, it was um, kind of like kind of like the Oumuamua paper. They weren't saying this is an alien signal. They were saying, if it's an alien signal, what would it take? Okay. But then, but then he goes and I think I you know I think he knows what he's doing. I think he goes oh, there. Yeah. He he says these things so that the news comes to him and says, "Wait a second. And then he's going like, "Hey, I, hey, I, I'm not saying it's aliens, but uh, I'm not saying it's not aliens. If it were. Dude, he gets into that. I'm not. All right, I'm gonna play his. I'm gonna play his game. He gets into that like gray area of like, you know, I didn't do it, but if I did, yeah, no, totally. It's like so. Uh, he actually. Let me see. I I want to say there was a quote. He basically said it doesn't matter. You know, they're asking him like, well, do you think that this is aliens? And he basically says, well, it doesn't matter matter whether I believe it's aliens. And then he says, science isn't a matter of belief; it's a matter of evidence. It's worth putting ideas out there and letting data be the judge, which is like, um, you know, half of me is like, man, I just really respect this. And as someone who's, you know, may, I may be naively open-minded at times about certain scientific ideas. Uh, mm-hmm. But the other half of me is like, he's just like trolling science right now. Like he knows this is going to get a rise out of people and that's why he's doing it. Yeah. But here he is like getting media attention for a paper that he didn't write. <laughs> Yes, that's that is true. Although this, I mean, most of the news articles about this were actually from 2017, but he was mentioned. Yeah, he was mentioned in the, in the, one of these news articles. I mean, I guess the, like the point that we're even like bringing him up in this discussion means like he's part of the conversation for suggesting these, for yeah, being open minded yeah. to it. You know, and and I actually I went and read or skimmed the paper that that he had written about this, um, and in the conclusion, he says something that I thought was kind of nicely ties into this current paper, which is, Mm -hmm. he says, quantifying the requirements necessary for an artificial origin serves at the very least the important purpose of enabling astronomers to rule it out with future data. 
So he's, he just kind of puts it out there and says, this is what it would take if it was artificial. And now you have, you know, a couple of years later, you have these people who have observed this repeating FRB that has this certain periodic structure. And you can already see how they've written into their paper, like, okay, well, because it's periodic, we can start ruling out certain things. Yeah. So, you know, like eventually there will be the paper that says, well, we observed this thing, which means that it's obviously not artificial. I don't know what that's going to be, but... Yes, I got you. Or maybe yeah. they say yeah. it is artificial. I don't know. I'm not. I don't want to rule it out either. <laughs> Cue the spooky music. Yeah, I want to believe. Well, cool. Yeah, maybe someday. What? So on that note, though, sorry. I, I know we should wrap up, but just lastly, Sputnik news. I want to kind of wag my finger at them a little bit because what they actually said, and, th- and this is just straight from the journalist. This is not like quoting a scientist or anything. They say. Although the scientists don't mention it, there's no ruling out that this could be an alien life form attempting to make contact with other life forms in the galaxy. Like, are, are you kidding me? Yeah. How, how can you how can you put that in a news article? The uh, yeah. Do you know anything about Sputnik in general? Is it no. like generally a good sport? I don't know anything. Oh, I thought you did, and you were saying like, oh, Charlie, don't you know about Sputnik? No, I, w- I wasn't like reprimanding you. <laughs> No, I, but I mean, they come up all the time when I'm when I'm looking for news articles on the papers that we cover. So, like, I mean, does it matter what I know about them? Like, if they're a popular news site that people are getting their news from, then that's bad. Like, they straight yep. up say, no, no, no. like, complete conjecture here. They just say, well, there's no ruling out that this is an alien signal. You know, the authors don't say anything of the sort in the paper, but uh, we can't rule it out. It's like, according to who? You? Like, you random journalist who has not done any of this research? Are you kidding me? Yeah, it's not exactly the best uh, scientific reporting. Yeah. It's no paper. It actually kind of made me mad. Yeah, I mean, it's like, it's misleading. It goes, like, it goes against the science. Yeah, it totally does. And it even admits itself that it's going against the science. It's like, just bald-faced. Yeah. Anyway, that's the paper. There's my my rage for the day nice well thanks for bringing this one in i learned a lot appreciate it keep my eyes open for some fast radio bursts yeah you'll have to look quickly or look every every time you get your paycheck is when you can look yeah that's how you'll know you know see the deposit look up at the sky feel that small little cell phone communication from the moon (laughs) yeah that warm bath of sun explosion the, yeah, the warm bath of fast radio bursts. <laughs> cool. Uh, yeah, and the paper is open access, so because it's it's published on that preprint server, archive.org. So we'll put that on the website, paperboyspodcast.com, and it'll be linked on our Twitter and our Instagram, so you can get to it through there. Um, it's a pretty, I mean, it's a pretty cool read. It's fairly technical, so I don't know that I would say like, you know, devote all your time to it, but I would check it out just for the figures. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, thanks for bringing that one in. Hope you guys all enjoyed it. And as always, we hope you join us next week for another exciting edition of Paper Boys. Thanks for listening.